welcome and thank you for listening to the Life with Behavior Analysis podcast in conjunction with the ABA Task Force. I'm your host, Ms. J, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Let's dig in and do life together with behavior analysis. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you for tuning in to the Life with Behavior Analysis podcast. I am so excited about this topic today. I think you're going to get a kick out of it. I have a very special guest, and this lady, you guys need to follow her. You need to listen to her podcast. You need to do all the good things, all the good things, every good thing. Do it. Do it now. I have Miss Cami Williams here. Or Camille. Is it Cami or Camille? Which one do you prefer? So most people call me Camille, like when they're like mad at me. Oh, so we're not gonna, <laughs> so we're gonna call her Cami, guys. We're not gonna call her Camille. <laughs> oh no, we don't want that. So I'm going to let Miss Cami introduce herself and let you know a little bit about her, and then we're gonna get this conversation started. So please take the floor. Yeah. So first of all, thank you for having me. Thank you for this introduction. Um, But yeah, so I'm a behavior analyst. I'm an LBA here in Hawaii, currently practicing. Uh, My spouse is in the military, so we're stationed here. Um, But I've been in the field since... 2013. Um, and I really do. I just love the science. Um, in particular, I love applying the science to all kind of parts of life. So on the podcast that I host, um, I'm always talking about like pop culture events in the most like behavior analytic kind of way. Um, and yeah, I'm also a love, sex and relationship coach. I really just love human connection and human interaction. Um, So yeah, I'm just honored to be here with you. Excellent. So we have behavior analysis. We have a love, sex, and you said love, sex, and something. Relationship. Relationship. There it goes. I I don't know why my brain just decided not (laughs) to remember that word. But (laughs) So love, sex, and relationship coach. So how do you marry those two? Like, what does that even look like? Yeah, so um, I think for me the way I conceptualize behavior analysis is really just a part of life. Um, Mm -hmm. And it kind of just, I think naturally, if you will, or scientifically just kind of explains everything that we do. Um, And I think, especially when it comes to like sex and pleasure, Mm -hmm. we have such a deep learning history of being Mm kind of oppressed and being very, um, I mean, like kind of just turned off, you know what I mean? And kind of like grossed out by just human connection in a sexual and like pleasure evoking kind of way. Um, And so when I'm with like my coaching kind of clients, I don't necessarily bring into... a a strict behavior analysis approach in that like I may not say maybe what some of um, our concepts are what some of our principles are Mm -hmm. but we absolutely um, see I absolutely see uh, this correlation between again like our history of reinforcement our learning history um, a little bit of like relational frame theory as far as like things that we may have been like explicitly taught and then all those things that have kind of derived and how resistant to extinction all of those derived kind of things are. Um, And it's just really kind of cool to help people, including myself, kind of unpack some of that and really figure out like, okay, what kind of life do I want to live? What kind of sex do I want to have? What kind of pleasure do I really not only want to have within myself, but what kind of pleasure do I want to, um, you know, kind of evoke out of like my partner? Mm -hmm. And I don't know, like it, 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 
in this very kind of natural way flows. Nice. So for let's talk about or kind of unpack some of this learning history, because I know growing up, we didn't talk about sex in my household. It was like this taboo um, subject. You didn't, even though we knew it was a thing, you just didn't talk about it. It was um, almost like, not shunned, but almost like, oh no, we don't, that's not what we do here. So with that learning history, do you find that it's common among the the clients that you have or is that or is that a societal thing where it's like oh no we don't talk about sex but sex is everywhere yeah well and so I love how you first of all just brought up that point how it's like we don't talk about it but it really is everywhere we see sex being used um in marketing um Mm -hmm. in all different kinds of advertisements these very kind of um um, like uh, convert covert kind of ways of advertising. Um, so a lot of the clients that I do have, though, they also were the same way. They either did not talk about it in the home or when they would engage in very naturally occurring, just humanly acts such as like masturbation when they mm-hmm. were younger, it was like shunned and it was right, shamed. Right. And so there's just so much shame, I think, in sexual pleasure um, ex- especially within like cisgender women and that like, I think we really get um, this message that like from all of society, be it like religion, our families, whatever, like that we're supposed to save ourselves for marriage or that we're not supposed to experiment or we're not supposed to even like touch ourselves to figure Mm -hmm. out what we even like. Um, We're not supposed to ask for what we want. Um, We're not even just supposed to even like tactics. Um, I did an episode on the song WAP and the the person who was on the episode with me, Kat Jackson, we literally kind of conceptualize WAP as this big task analysis, if you will, or in this big opportunity of women, like actually mandating for what we want and really Mm -hmm. just tacting it, calling it a thing, a thing, and actually saying like, number one, though, just because you actually do honor my man, like that doesn't necessarily give you, um, like access to like my whole autonomy, you know what I mean? Like it just is like this, this one instance of, of us engaging in me manding for something, me, first of all, knowing what that is, you honoring it. And, and that just kind of be that. And I think even like, that's a, a perfect, I think, song of like so many men were so, especially rappers who explicitly talk about sex, right. um, and, and oftentimes like a very derogatory way, were so uncomfortable because these women were actually doing the very same thing that they were doing. They were. And I think that, that really kind of gets us into this like rat race of like, we're supposed to be ready all the time mm-hmm. for sex. <laughs> we're supposed to be sexy. We're supposed to be reserved. We're supposed to be open. We're supposed to be all these kind of mixed messages, if you right, will. Right. Um, but we're just not supposed to talk about it. And it's like, no, like we I think we really have to unlearn a lot of that. Yeah, it's that whole be a lady in the streets, but a freak in the bed kind of, you know, conceptualization about sex and Mm -hmm. things like that. So talking about WAP, because when the song came out, I was like, oh, my, (laughs) it was it was just it was a little shocking because, like you said, you haven't had many women rappers or women artists come out with a song that explicitly says, look, this is what I want. This is what I like. This is what you know, if you honor my man, this is what you're going to get. 
So let's unpack that a little bit. So when you're looking at the way that song was presented and how the reaction that it got, what do you attribute to that reaction that they received? Because it was just like, oh my gosh, I can't believe that they're talking about their anatomy in this way and they're celebrating their anatomy and they're celebrating their essentially their womanhood. Mm -hmm. So what, how do you unpack something like that? I mean, we definitely saw like this huge behavior contrast, right? Like we know I love so many rap songs that are so explicit. Um, And, and, and then again, like you said, like when that came out, it was very, it was like, we're all like clutching our pearls. But then on the opposite side, there were so many people, um, I think, especially like white audiences, white women who were like applauding it without Mm -hmm. them also unpacking how part of the power of that song was the fact that it is absolutely anti-black for us to not especially black women like for us to not actually have this power of talking about it so then you see like the Christina Aguilera's and you see like all these white women posting about like their wet ass pussy and it's like there's this sense of yes like woman empowerment Mm -hmm. but there's also this sense of like but y'all don't actually get it like the 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 anti-blackness that also goes into uh, this idea of Black women, I think specifically being super silent, Mm -hmm. um, super submissive, um, especially when we factor in like the Black church and how deeply ingrained a lot of our messages are about sex and sexuality from the Black church. It was really, for me, it was just very, very interesting seeing like all of these um, either very like tone deaf or very like super like um reinforcing kind of responses um and then also just being super excited that like they made history as far as like the numbers with that song mm-hmm. I think one of the the weirdest things for me I always get very weirded out by like the things that I'm so excited about because I'm just like this should be basic like we're in right, at that point right. 2020 it should not be a big this should like if we like the song we like the song but like it shouldn't be a big deal and it's almost sad that it was you know what I mean like it should just be that like we're able to actually talk about the human behavior that is so natural for Mm -hmm. all of us to do and it not be a thing you know while while it also being so important that it is a thing um I, I think history especially because um a lot of our history is fundamentally rooted in religion Mm -hmm. um that like men have always been able you know to to do all the courting you know they Mm -hmm. were always able to um just have sex and and with no kind of strains attached whereas for us as women um as cisgender women in society like we know that we really had to like really kind of reserve ourselves so obviously this is a fictional depiction but even if you take a show like Bridgerton it kind of showed Mm -hmm. like this idea of like the woman really in her um in in her almost like timid like vanity Mm -hmm. kind of really represents her family and and whereas you see all of these men again I know this is fictional but it definitely I think mirrors real life um you saw all of these men who were able just to have like meaningless sex and like that was okay Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. so I don't know like I I I don't I don't know kind of where this got started um what I do know is like I'm on this journey of really unpacking some of that myself Mm -hmm. um and I just I want to live a life of pleasure like it's so simple to me like that's 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 
truly like what I want. And I, I really hope to kind of support my clients um, to also do the same thing. So that kind of brings to mind to me, um, Amber Rose. Now, Amber Rose is very open and outspoken about her sexuality, about, you know, I'm going to have sex because I like it and screw you if you don't like it. Um, and she had her slut walk and um, I know she had it in what, I think 2019, but not in 2020 yeah. because of COVID. But she had her slut walk and she was like, stop shaming women for loving sex. Stop shaming women for basically having the same attitude towards sex that a lot of men do. And not this is not against men and their sexuality. Yeah. Um, we're just talking about it. <laughs> but she, you know, that kind of brings to mind that she is very unapologetic about how she feels about towards sex and what she wants to do mm-hmm. sexually. So it also brings to mind that whole situation back in, I think, 2020 with T.I. and his daughter. Mm -hmm. So I want to unpack that a little bit, too, because on one hand, T.I. was being, um, a lot of heat was coming toward him because he was essentially saying that he checked, when his daughter went to the doctor, they checked to make sure her hymen was still intact. However, when it comes to his sons, he's very open about essentially sowing, you know, sowing their royal oats and being sexual and being free with their sexuality. But his daughters, on the other hand, is very like very much so like, no, we're just you will not be a hoe. Like that's not you go out and you sleep with more than one man, you're automatically labeled a hoe as a woman. So let's unpack that a little bit. Like, how do you feel about that? Well, first of all, it's also stupid because he's a bona fide cheater. And it's also ironic because right now (laughs) him and his wife are both in like being accused of engaging in like sexually exploitative acts. But all of that aside, number one, it's a bona fide lie that 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 hymen check is even kind of going back to like for us as behavior analysts that that's even like reliable, (laughs) like a reliable measure or even a valid measure of um, somebody's virginity. But besides that, I think that because women, and I'm going to use this word burden for only, not because I think it's a burden, but I think in this context it's appropriate. I think because women carry this burden of Mm -hmm. if we engage in heterosexual sex, we could get pregnant. Um, There, and pregnancy, and and obviously children are almost like a permanent product, if you will, Mm -hmm. of that kind of um, behavior, that sexual behavior. I think oftentimes you do see this contrast with fathers that are really trying to be like overly protective, Mm -hmm. air quotes, protective of their daughters, their daughter's virginity, And their daughter's kind of autonomy, forgetting, though, that it takes their son to actually impregnate somebody. But I really think a a part of that is like this permanent product of like pregnancy and a permanent product of children. Mm -hmm. Um, But I, I don't know. I just feel like it's just so rooted in misogyny and it's just so rooted in this I this like purity culture mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. we also know is so false like we I, we know number one we know that like unless we're actually educating people on things so unless we're telling our kids what their body parts are and calling them the right name like right. not these cute names like the fact that like I believed that like my vulva was my vagina until like 
undergrad is so sad. Like I just, right, and, and right. with that being said, like my parents, they really did. Like we didn't have like a birds and the bees talk. They were literally like, this is a penis. Like this is a vagina, which I now know is my vulva. But like, it was like very explicit because one, I think it's just important, but two, I have a history in my family or my family has a history of like sexual abuse. And mm. so it was very important to my mom and my dad to be very explicit in telling us, these are your body parts. They told us about appropriate touch and, and inappropriate mm-hmm. touch. My mom taught me about masturbation and encouraged me to do that because she okay. did not ever want me to get into some kind of relationship where I didn't even know what I liked. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't able to then ask for, you know, what I wanted. Um, and, and even though I had that kind of intentional upbringing with this, I still, definitely struggle even now with the fact that like I was taught to be this way Mm -hmm. by just the world you know what I mean like I was taught to be this way by the church I was taught to not be this way and so for me even like if we think about like sexual education it's always like this huge debate if sex ed should even be included in like curriculum and it's like what do you expect? Like, first of all, why do you think that the education on something somehow increases the rate of responding like in that mm-hmm, subject? Mm-hmm. Like, but besides that, even with the sex ed that we have, it's not very like all inclusive. So with me being a lesbian, like I never learned about lesbian sex until I started watching like fictional depictions of like Mm -hmm. lesbians, like on these shows. And even that I'm just like, there were all these white women. I couldn't identify like with any of the people like on these shows, like the L word or whatever. Yeah. And it's like, we have to, in my opinion, just do better. Like it makes just no sense to me that like, we can't talk about something when most times, like we know the function of it is automatic reinforcement. We know Mm -hmm. that, it's just something that we do. And so right. it's like, I don't understand like why we can't talk about it in the exact same way that we can talk about like tying a shoe or something like just so basic. And I really think there's so much power in like removing the taboo around it. Right. But then right. it's kind of like, okay, well, like, well, where do you start? And so this weekend I attended and I was a part of Sex Abba. Mm-hmm. And it was really cool because yesterday one of the panelists Um, or one of the panel, I should say, like time periods, if you will, that they had um, were of autistic people. And they were talking about their experiences or lack thereof being taught about pleasure, being taught about sex, being talked about like sexuality, which is so interesting because as behavior analysts, there's literature out there that is showing us this huge 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 correlation between autistic individuals and like lgbtqia like plus like identities right so the fact of the matter is is like not only do i think we have a responsibility obviously to stay within our scope of practice so probably to like refer out and consult with people who are you know actually um it like it's within their scope to be behavior analyst and mm-hmm. like sex therapist um I think we need to just do better by children, period. But I think especially in our field, we have to do a better job of being comfortable with the fact that even our neurodiverse um, clients and and siblings and just counterparts, like they are going to engage in the exact same behaviors that we Mm -hmm. are. So Mm -hmm. it's like, I think we have a professional obligation to do better as well. You know what? I think too that a lot of people look at the neurodiverse 
population is asexual as not having those sexual feelings is not having those those urges when we know that's not true but it also um goes to the comfortability of their caretakers and the parents because i know for um for me i had one client who we had to talk about masturbation and Mm -hmm. initially in my head i'm like oh my god i don't want to talk about this oh my gosh but we did i got through it without freaking out (laughs) but it was important to the parents that that he that this child masturbated correctly because they had through their research they found that there were children out there who were trying to masturbate but doing it incorrectly so that they were causing more harm to themselves mm-hmm. than yeah. than necessary because they didn't know how to do it they just exactly it felt good to do it the way that they were doing it and it was causing Absolutely. you know chafing it's causing yeah. you know bleeding it's causing you know all these yep. different conditions so I think that it, it's a shift that needs to happen where we're not looking at the autism community or the autism population as these asexual beings who will yeah. never want to have sex, who will never want to experience that sexual pleasure mm-hmm. that neurotypical individuals do. Yeah. Um, well, and I think you're right, though, because I think we also see that just in in children, just period. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think I think we have this idea that when it comes to sex that like if we're talking about it to children it's somehow like inappropriate because of their age or because mm-hmm. of their whatever and it's like we have to I think it the, if the more we look at children as like just tiny humans right right like they they are going to they're going to experience this. Like we literally have studies out that show that babies while in utero, like they are actually masturbating, Mm -hmm. like babies masturbate. Like when, when they are like, this is something so natural. And, and it's, it just makes me so sad. I think how much shame is really built around sex because the kind of like sexual repression that like we see in people like it's really it generalizes first of all across right, their lives right. like this this idea like we all especially right now like we're we see memes and all of these like thought like provoking kind of statuses and things um about like self-love or like self-confidence and things mm-hmm. like that a lot of that really does get just extinguished in childhood starting with our sexuality and starting right. with like our our want for pleasure And even like with what you were saying, like even like with asexual individuals, like they literally will still like want sexual pleasure. Like maybe they want to masturbate or what, you know what I mean? And it's like, it's just, I don't think we think of sex anymore as like this, like, or ever as like this, like fundamental, like thing (laughs) that we're all just going to do. And I think that's, it's, it should be like, in my opinion, like almost like a thought of if we had to think about like Maslow's and like that hierarchy. Needs, it should be a very like basic need because literally the, the the art or the act of of being motivated for sexual pleasure is definitely something that is unconditioned right like how we get it and how we do it and again all of these messages that you know may derive from our teeth are being taught about sex like that's the shit that ends up like messing us up Right. When we're adults trying to really kind of navigate the world. And it just, I don't know, I feel like we just do ourselves 
and our clients and our children, our communities, just a disservice. Right. And I think too, like I have two boys, one is a teenager now and it's like, oh my gosh, that's a whole nother subject in and of itself is having a teenager. But one thing as a parent that I try to educate my son on is, and this is kind of segueing into porn, Mm -hmm. is that what he, I know he looks, Mm -hmm. his friends look, I, I know this. And we have candid conversations about what you see in a porn is not what real sexual behavior is for the general masses. This is staged. This is, you know, this is very much so planned. This is, um, you know, done in such a way that it's outside of the what we consider the norm. Um, And like I said, being that he is a teenager, I know that he's learning things or they're just talking about things with his friends and Mm -hmm. talking, you know, trying to think, research things on his own just as a teenager and being curious. So I try to have those candid conversations with him and he's like, oh, mom, that's gross. But, (laughs) (laughs) but, you know, it's those conversations that need to happen. And I think that we've learned, we've learned from these, these different mediums what sex is supposed to be, what sex is, how it's supposed to be done, that we're still, even as adults, doing ourselves a disservice because we haven't really, like you said, we haven't really learned, Mm -hmm. you know, what, what these pieces of me are. We don't know what, Yes. for instance, I know this is going to get kind of graphic, so I'll just make sure that this is an explicit (laughs) considered episode, but like for a woman to orgasm, for a woman yes. to work, for a woman to, you know, engage in any of these naturally occurring behaviors, yes. it's like, oh my gosh, this is so embarrassing. Mm-hmm. Or I've never had an orgasm because I don't know my body yes. well enough to say to my partner, no, do it this way. or And do how sad, like, and again, like fundamentally, like how sad is that? One of the things I've struggled with is so excuse me, due to my health history, I had to get a hysterectomy. And Mm -hmm. even when I was like researching hysterectomies, um, I really was trying to figure out, okay, how, how are these side effects going to impact my life? How are they going to impact my relationship? And it was like a lot of research, both my spouse and I, I mean, we were researching a lot. So sexual pleasure is something that is an, or lack thereof, I should say, is, is like highly, highly, highly correlated with hysterectomies. I was 28 when I had to get a hysterectomy and I was like, I cannot live the rest of my life without having sex or sexual pleasure. And so one of the things in my research I found, which I, I feel like maybe I was taught this, but I don't know if maybe I forgot. I I don't know. It just apparently didn't click was just how, um, the cervix is correlated a lot with our sexual pleasure. So because my cervix was not, um, was not like harming me mm-hmm. and, and anything that has to do with like my health. I was like, okay, we can do this hysterectomy, but like leave my cervix, <laughs> like right. just leave, like do not touch that thing. Like I need that. Like leave it, <laughs> you know? And I just, I, I thank God that my, my surgeon was respectful of that. But even after that, 
one of the things I struggled with was this shame of really having to prepare my body for sex because on TV we see sex being like this like in like in like you said on porn it's like hot steamy there's no consent (laughs) there's no planning there is no it's literally like oh my god I just like want you so much I'm like obsessed with yeah and like I'm obsessed with Grey's Anatomy and so it's like let's do it in like the on-call like and it's like number one I don't think that that's real life besides that (laughs) it made me feel so bad that like I would literally have to be like okay Jamie like I want to have it felt very like unnatural for him to be like okay let's plan to have sex so like it's Monday like you get off at whatever time I get off at whatever time and I really had to um prepare like either Mm -hmm. like me masturbating um me really just meditating because it just it didn't feel good and I knew that that was normal from the surgery Mm -hmm. and I really had to kind of mentally and physically kind of get ready for that. So then I actually was shared an article or somebody had maybe like posted an article and it was an article about how normal it is to prepare for sex. And this was just last year. Mm. And when I tell you, I felt seen, so seen for the first time. Cause I'm like, I thought I was abnormal. Like my spouse was like, Camille, like it's really not that big of a deal. Like, and in my mind, I'm like, but it is a big deal. Like nobody right. has to do this. Like I'm broken. Like because of my health history that like led me to this surgery, there is something wrong with me mm-hmm. that like, we don't have this very like spontaneous sex and this article, I'm going to try to find it. Um, like it was like, actually, no, like majority of couples don't do that. <laughs> and I was like, right, really? Right. Like I had no idea because of what the media shows. And it's like, right, right. I, here I was for like a few years feeling so terrible about myself for something that I now know is so normal, but I would have never known that you know, like based on what I see. And it's just, I don't know. It's just so unfortunate. Right. And I think, like you said, based on what we see, we as cis women can feel negative, you know, all these negative connotations about sex or towards sex where it's like, oh, we're not supposed to enjoy it. It's only movies. Like, no, honey, you're supposed to enjoy your interactions, your encounters. You're supposed to you know, engage, it's not a, a bad thing to initiate, you know, yes. it's Even actually a wonderful that, thing. Like to- all of this shame around like actually initiating sex, like, and I think what's so interesting, especially I feel like as, as behavior analysts, when we actually just think about the fact that like, no, like we were literally socialized to think this way, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like, even like when we think about like logic versus like socialization, it sometimes can be still, even though like we logically know, like, yes, I was socialized to think this way. That doesn't, that for me, at least I'm still working through the impact of all of that learning history, you know, because it is like, we are literally taught to just kind of be like objects to men. Mm -hmm. And if a man just so happens like to want a baby, cool. Like we can have a baby. If a man doesn't, then we better be sure that we also have condoms. We better be sure that you know, number one, that we even like having sex with men or in my case, I do not like, right, you right. know, like we we're just conditioned to be so like perfect mm-hmm. and w- without us, I think oftentimes realizing that like we didn't actually define that word perfect in this context, like right. men did. And it's just, it's really, really, it's heartbreaking. Like some of the trauma that just that socialization like Mm -hmm. has kind of had on us, I think, especially like generations after generations, it's really, really sad. Like, I don't know. It is. It's because, you know, you, once you kind of learn 
those behaviors that help to promote a better sex life and, and better comfortability with your body. And you look back on kind of what you learned. It's like, holy shit, like, oh my gosh, what in the world were, you know, what, what was I thinking? But you couldn't help what you were thinking because that's what you were taught. So it's like a whole paradigm shift that you have to go through in order to kind of live a more uninhibited, I guess you could say life, which that's why I kind of, and even when you look at other women who are uninhibited, it's, it's that mindset kind of shift that you need to make to yes. not look at that person as yes uh, to not yes. look at that person as you know this thing yeah this you know just this thing it's almost <laughs> like we see like enlightenment mm-hmm. as like this great thing and like this pinnacle of like I don't know success if you will um until it's sexual enlightenment and then we're like, you're right. Like we literally have to actively like fight all of these messages right. that like come into our head. Again, like all of these like derived kind of relations and all of these frames that kind of come into our head of like, but what does sexual enlightenment actually mean? And I think mm-hmm. that also goes into like, we oftentimes, I think, especially like with social media, I don't know if we even have access to too many people that are truly sexually enlightened in the right. way that like, I imagine that it's like being like, I think that we oftentimes, um, we just oftentimes kind of see people who may like talk about sex a lot or, you know, who may, I don't know, sing or I don't know, whatever, like all kind of like sexually explicit kind of like uh, content. Mm -hmm. But I feel like for true enlightenment, you don't necessarily need to do that, but I don't know, like, who am I to be like, that's what true enlightenment is. I just kind of wonder if, I think sometimes like when you're so at peace with something, there's like this like unshakable kind of, kind of peace and like grounding with it. Mm -hmm. And I think oftentimes there are so many people who think that like, I don't know, like having their ass out all the time means that they're like sexually liberated and oftentimes even that is a direct pushback really to the society and really to the shame versus like having this true enlightenment um and I don't know it's 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 for me like it's very confusing because I'm just like well like because like number one I don't I'm who am I to judge anybody's journey right but I have a feeling that there are so many things uh, so many kind of attributes in life where like once we have peace within ourselves about it there's like this untouchable kind of peace in like this air around mm-hmm. us, you know what I mean? And, and sometimes I still wonder if the people that we see now, um, like the Amber Roses, for mm-hmm. example, how, how, like how really enlightened they really are or how liberated they really are versus still being in that kind of phase of like pushback, you mm-hmm. know, and, mm-hmm. and, and which I think there's room for all of it, but I just kind of, I don't know, this is now it's making me really think like, I just kind of wonder like, what does it look yeah. like to be sexually enlightened? What does it look like to be sexually liberated? Um, and obviously it can look very different. Right, um, right. But yeah. Like I, I can't lie and say that, like I don't look at, you know, Cardi B and I don't look at um, Meg Thee Stallion and, you know, I see them with, you know, showing, showing their glory 
you know, to the world. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, like save something for your husband. <laughs> then I, you know, but then I'm like, then I have to think, no, that's just the way I was taught. I was raised mm-hmm. this way. This yeah. does not mean that, you know, these young ladies are hoes. This doesn't mean that these young ladies are anything other than the great young ladies that they are, you know what I mean? And I think, like you said, like, what does sexual liberation even look like? Because does that mean, right? It's like, does that mean I'm okay with showing my body like a man would show his body on IG? Mm -hmm. Does that mean that I'm open to talk about my sexuality or my sexual partners like a man would talk to his friends maybe, you know, about yeah. his sexual exploits. Like, what does that even yeah. mean or look like for a, a cis woman? Well, that's what's so cool, I think, about, like, my coaching clients, because it really is similarly to ABA, um, or or what it should be with ABA. It really okay. is individualized, and we really do individualize, like, what, what their goals are stemming from their presenting problem. Mm-hmm. And so I know it's really cool to kind of see what it looks like for each of them. Cause it really is. It's very, very different. Right. Um, but to go back to, to what you were saying about like Cardi and Megan, I also, so like when I was in my twenties, um, I just was just wild and free and, and in no way liberated. (laughs) I probably looked like I was, but, um, and then I got older and I've started like covering up a little bit more, or I started to, you know, just kind of be like a little bit more conservative. Keep in mind, I am in a relationship with somebody that was like, yo, I see, I see all these pictures of like college cami and like, where is she? And I'm like, oh, you know, I'm 31 now. Like I'm there. She's retired. Yeah. And she's like, but why? Like, why? And she's the first person I've ever been in a relationship with who, like, if I post a picture, like, showing cleavage or if I'm, like, in, like, what we call, like, a little freakum dress or whatever Mm -hmm. and I'm not with her, she's like, yo, you look good. Like, but you should probably, like, put those shoes with it. You know, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, like, she's open about it. Yeah, but me, like, I'm so insecure about that. Like, if she looks too good, I have to actively tell myself, like, Camille, like, this is a you thing. Like right, how, right. how dare you project on her to like not look great? Like that's a you problem. And I think, mm-hmm. I think sometimes like it's hard to kind of talk to myself in that way. Like I really like, I'm like that person where I'm like, I'm not going to post this picture of her on Instagram because if it gets too many likes, then somebody's going to be sliding her DMs. And, and it's just yeah. like, yeah, but Camille, like that's a you issue. Like if she looks good, she looks good. And it's okay that other people are attracted to her. But it really is, for me, like, for my journey, it's this constant, 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 like, learning and unlearning and Mm -hmm. really disrupting and interrogating, like, these thoughts and these beliefs that I have and not believing what I think and really just, like, figuring out, like, Camille, like, do you actually like thinking this way? No. Okay, right, cool. Right. Like, what can we do about it? I'm, I, I'm a big proponent of therapy. I, I, and I, I wonder if people go to therapy about just insecurities enough. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, especially because, again, like, we know that we were conditioned to be, like, like ca- the way capitalism works, honestly, the way society works, it's better that we're like this versus right. this liberated kind of mindset. Um, but I'm like, I don't, I, I don't want to subscribe to that anymore. So I just want to do whatever I can do to hopefully like be better. And I do understand like that's, it's hard. Like it's right, very, right. very, very, very hard. But like, I think conversations like this, and if I pray that people 
would just become more open and more willing to talk about it. Cause I think that's half the, the battle. Like, right, right. I think especially like for people who are parents and for people who are married, like we just don't talk about some of the things that happens, I think, or how we feel when we're in those two kind of domains. Like there tends to be, I think this like silence um, and whatever your issues are, cause you're supposed to reserve that for, you know, your home and like what happens mm-hmm, in this house mm-hmm. stays in this house. And it's like, I actually think we need to kind of shift that as well. I think, conversations like this like you and I barely know each other and we're literally just openly talking about something like sex like pleasure like insecurities like Mm -hmm. lack of confidence very normally and naturally and like I'm already walking away from this conversation feeling so like this a little bit of like this weight off because I'm like it actually feels good to talk to somebody else just about it period right right I just I hope that we're able to kind of do that more just as a society especially as like marginalized individuals Right. And I think you made a really good point about, you know, some of the insecurity being a you problem, because I think that we sometimes will put that those feelings of insecurity or those those ideals that we've developed over time onto somebody else and kind of blame that person for how we're feeling so that we don't have to deal with that learning history. We don't have to deal with the emotion. And I know we're behavior analysts, but, you know, those covert and overt, you know. Yeah, private events um, are real. Exactly, (laughs) like they are so real. So we don't want to deal with those private events that we're feeling because we don't want to deal with the paradigm shift that has to happen at that time because it's it's hard. And sometimes it it hurts, Mm -hmm. not, you know, psychologically, it hurts because it's a whole shifting away from something that you were once conditioned to believe. And so reinforced it, for right. believing. Exactly. Like for, for many yes, years. Yes, yes. So it's like, and it's geez. work. It's right. constant work. Like right. when I really started to, to go on my journey of radical self-love mm-hmm. and I mean like radical self-love, having to look at me in the mirror and realize that just because my toxic looked different than some of the toxicity, like I attribute to like my exes, for example, yeah. or some of my friends and the things that they do or whatever, it's and it's still toxic nonetheless. It's like, holy cow, like, where do I even start? You know what I mean? Like, right. I have so many things. And, and being willing, though, to continue to do that work ongoingly, it's not easy. Like, no, it's, it's not. And realizing that like my behavior impacts other people's and that again, like uh, going back to behavior analysis, knowing that like environments that I have been in have absolutely maintained this insecurity, have absolutely maintained Mm -hmm. this um, sexual like suppression, like, and having to take responsibility for the shit that I put on other people due to that. Mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. very, very hard. And, but it's so worth it. Like right, it is. who I am today and God knows I'm still working, like actively mm-hmm. working, like who I am today is so much better than who I was. Like, even just like last year, even last month, because I'm just like, I'm willing to do the work though, because I don't want to, I don't want to live this way where like, I'm putting other people in boxes while still mm-hmm. saying like that I love them and I'm not allowing them to have their autonomy or you know, Your and that freedom, doesn't mean, yeah. yeah. And it's like, and it doesn't mean that there's not boundaries. It doesn't mean that there's not, cause I think that's another thing. I think we, we think that somehow like liberation, um, 
means that like you don't have boundaries or like when you're in relationships with other people, like they don't have boundaries. And it's like, no, it's not that, but I'm not, I no longer want to like be a controlling person knowing that, that, that what is fostering that is like my shit. Right. Right. Nobody deserves that. And, and I think that also kind of to kind of like go back to what we were talking about, even with children, I think that also has to do with that too. Like, we aren't teaching our children about something because we are uncomfortable. Like it has nothing to do with them at all, you know? Oh, and trust me, I, in talking to my boys about sex and they're, you know, calling it a penis and not saying, you know, some other cutesy name and when they were younger anyway, um, it was hard. It was very hard because it's like, oh my gosh, I don't want to talk about this. Like you don't want to, you don't want to go there, but you know, for their health, their safety and their well-being, you have to go there. You have to kind of take a step back from your own mess and push forward with what they need from you at the time. And that goes with not just talking about sex, but that goes with anything, really. Anything. Well, and you also, like, you making that decision has now hopefully, like, put them on a trajectory of, like, yo, I can talk to my mom about sex. Like, I can talk to her about anything. If Mm -hmm. I can talk to my mom about sex, like, I can talk to her about anything. I know she loves me. I know she's not going to judge me. And then if they decide to have children one day, hopefully they also will kind of have that attitude as well, Mm -hmm. like, with their future kids. Or even if it's not with their future kids, with their friends, with their whoever. And, like, that's, like, where I think, like, the power comes in. Right, Like, knowing that, like, I'm safe enough to go to my parents about absolutely anything. I can talk to my parents in this very real and transparent way. Like that's so, it's so powerful and it's so beautiful. So I commend you for even actively choosing to like push through like any of your discomfort and be like, okay, like, but we have to do this. Right, because it is very uncomfortable. Like it's, oh my God, it's uncomfortable. (laughs) Mm Because you don't, I mean, you don't want to... I don't, I don't know any parent that wants to imagine their child yes. having sex, but you know it's going to come. You don't want to imagine your child mm-hmm. masturbating, but you know it's going to come. Yeah. You don't want to imagine these different scenarios because that's your baby. That's your, mm-hmm. you know, that's your offspring. That's your little person. Yeah. But these things will come. So yeah. it's like, you need to suck it up, kind of deal with your mess, your insecurities, yeah. your, your foolishness about the subject. Because sometimes what you what you've been taught or what you've been conditioned to um, kind of understand about sex, sexuality, relationships is foolishness. I mean, well, that's, and you know, it's that's like it, there, I don't think we see sex as innocent mm-hmm. as, as we see children. And I think that that's, is very that's true. probably the hard part where it's that's like, very true. this is such a natural thing. Like it's such a natural feeling. It really is so innocent. But because of things like porn, especially like with the porn that oftentimes we see like that's free Mm -hmm. or like music videos. I don't know if they even make music videos anymore, but when they used to like like the the way we see sex, it's so explicit and it's like. No, but it doesn't it's it doesn't have to be. It can be sure. But like it doesn't have to be, you know, like it really is. a in it, There's an innocence to sex and there's a right. curiosity to sex that like I'm excited to just at least be willing to try to like look at, you know, because mm-hmm. it, it's a, so, it's so much unlearning. Like it is so much unlearning. It is. It's a lot. It's 
I'm glad that we were able to have this conversation because it's like it is making me think kind of still about my my hangups on sex, mm-hmm. my um, my belief system about sex. You know, it's it's still a lot of things that I have to unpack for myself and mm-hmm. try to um, kind of reconceptualize for my own well-being, for the well-being of my children, for, you know, my own relationships. So I'm really, really glad we had this conversation. It's been amazing. Thank you for having me, honestly. No problem. So before we wrap up, I want to know how can people follow you? How can they find you? Give us all of your details. Yeah. So my podcast is Love, Sex, and Applied Behavior Analysis. Um, It's wherever you can find podcasts. Um, And my Instagram is lovesexaba. Um, I also have another Instagram. It's bcba with sign where I just try to make kind of random signs about anything, but conceptualized in like a behavior analytic way. And then my personal Instagram is camwillmadeit with the underscore. Um, And yeah, I'm just, I'm here. I'm on Facebook too. Um, Camille D. Morgan, I think is my Facebook. That is awesome. And I got to have so you on the, my show too. So like, yes. we got we to gotta do that. We got to live together. We do. I need to, I want you to tell the people about all the things. I love all the work <laughs> that you're doing. So yeah, we got to figure you. that out. Thank you. So we're definitely going to get that together. You guys heard it here first. We're going to get it together. <laughs> so don't forget to like, share, subscribe to this podcast. Let me know what you think. Go on to our Instagram page, Life Un- Life with ABA. Go to our Facebook page, Life with ABA. Go on to our um, website, Life with a behavior analysis.com. Let us know what you think. Let us know if there's any questions that you have for Cammie. I will definitely make sure that we forward those questions on to her. Make sure you follow her. Make sure you like, uh, subscribe, and share her podcast as well. I'm telling you, you don't want to miss it. You don't want to miss this opportunity to get some really good information. So, If that's nothing, Cammie, if you have nothing else for the audience, (laughs) we'll see you guys next time on the next episode. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Live with Behavior Analysis podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and share. Also, make sure you check out our website for more content. See you next time. Bye!